Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today is... I'm Dave Clark. Hey, y'all. It's Beth. Hey, it's Mickey Turner. And hey, look at that. I'm never going to stop marveling at the, that the, at when we we're able to pull that off. Uh, anyway, so we we're here. Uh, it's Thursday before, you know, we got T minus what, four days before playoffs. The Sounders are getting a nice long break, a much needed break, I, I should say. Uh, it's, it's funny, even though they didn't get a buy, the Sounders are going to end up having essentially as much rest as they would have otherwise gotten. Uh, I think Mickey will probably be able to agree or be able to corroborate this is that all signs pointed to the Sounders were going to be playing on Thanksgiving if they had gotten the number one seed. And instead they're playing all of two days earlier. So there is some, you know, there's the added challenge of having to play an extra game, but the amount of rest between the, the, first game and your last game and your first game uh, essentially is the same. Uh, I think that worked out pretty well for the Sounders. Uh, all things considered, I think the two seed suits them just fine. This is the same seed they've had each of the last five years. Now uh, they have of course gone to the, or I guess they, yeah, they, gone to the, they had the number one. No, they, they did not have the number one. Uh, number I, one I read overall. that. No, they did not. I, I saw someone else say this. They like I think it was, but they've had the number two seed every year uh, since uh, since 2016 when they were the fourth seed. But they've only had the number one seed once, and that was in 2014. Uh, they've had the the number two seed in 17, 18, 19, 20, and now 21. Uh, I, I yeah, I don't know where I, I I saw someone else say this that they had the number one seed in 2018, but they but they did not have it. I think uh, the, the thing was in 2018 they also got a buy um, as the number two seed. Oh, maybe uh, that yeah. that makes more uh, sense. Why people are kind of uh, mixing them up because obviously there's only one buy now. Right, right. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, they they uh, they they're the number two seed, and for me, like I, I think the way that this team is right now, going straight into like having that extra game may actually be of some benefit. I know that there is. And any round, there's a percentage chance that you're going to lose. So there's always a chance that you like playing one extra game is is some statistical chance less that you're going to get to the final. I think from a more practical perspective, at least the way I look at it, is this is a team that needs time to get gelled together again. They haven't essentially played together for, uh, I mean, really, if you consider Jordan Morris, this whole team hasn't been together at all. Uh, so maybe having that extra game against RSL is good. Uh I've kind of gone into it with the idea that if you can't beat RSL, you probably weren't going to beat the winner of Minnesota Portland. Uh, 
I don't know. We may as well start there. Anyone have a, a drastically or want to weigh in on the on my maybe galaxy brain idea that the two seed in some ways is is maybe even better than the one seed? I mean, I think it is from the context, as you said, that they need the extra game because even looking at this international break where they've had two plus weeks off, they still haven't had their entire team together uh, in training You know, with uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz, uh, JP and Madranda injured. And then the host of guys on international duty, we were uh, some of us at the scrimmage uh, a couple of days ago and it was, you know, more defiance than Sounders players and Academy Literally. guys really. So, um, you know, they got some benefit out of it from a fitness standpoint, but from a cohesion standpoint, they got basically, you know, nothing that they're not going to get over the next few days. So, you know, with the caveat that they need to win on Tuesday um, aside, they certainly need the game to try to get some semblance of cohesion, assuming that they advance and play uh, on the following Sunday. And, you know, they, you know, they got a little bit of a bad draw in that the winner of the other side of the uh, bracket will get a few extra days of rest between their playoff game uh, between uh, SKC and Vancouver. And assuming the Sounders win again, we're not to put the cart before the horse, but you know, just for the sake of discussion, they're missing out on that benefit. And then they're also obviously missing out on the benefit of not having to play the extra game and risk uh, additional yellow cards or, or red cards. So aside from those things, yeah, I think they need, they need the game. And so I don't think they're going to be terribly sad about having to play it, especially since they get to play it at home. The, the good news is the offense should look a lot better to, we're going to skip some, some elements there of Jeremiah's show sheet, but the offense should get better with Raul, Jordan and Jao Paulo all looking probable for starts uh, in, in some order and fashion. Uh, Jao Paulo most, Raul second, Jordan the third for starting. So the offense should look a lot better. Um, the extra two days of, uh, of rest, uh, as it turns out, might have been better for the defense because uh, Javier Ariaga and Nuhu both have minor injuries. Um, and A.B. Sissoko also missed. So of the top five center backs this year, uh, three of them are out. Yeah. yeah. Well, we don't know who's out, but Shane O'Neill well, was the only one that actually played in the scrimmage. Yeah. So of the top five center backs that played this season, only one is was healthy during the scrimmage. Right. And the other three, um, an extra two days could wind up making a difference on. So <laughs> it'll, that'll be, uh, I don't envy uh, <laughs> Brian Schmetzer if uh, the worst case scenario comes true with the, uh, the ill A.B. Sissoko, the shoulder injury to Nuhu, and the hamstring injury to Javier Arriaga. Um, uh, best case is they can all play through on Tuesday night. Um, and then the team looks really good. Um, Are you going to get Josh Atencio at center back? You know, I, I don't think that's a crazy possibility, especially if if my, my suspicion is that if because Yamar is supposed to be available, Shane O'Neill is supposed to be available. It doesn't strike me as too outside, like too galaxy brain to think that Shane O'Neill or that Josh Atencio could slot in as that third center back. And then they could use, you know, like Killen Rowe and Jao Paulo as the defensive midfielders. I like I, I think that may probably makes more sense than than suddenly switching to a four two three one a formation that they have not started with I don't think even once all year have they? 
Josh does have a team of the week award at center back from this season. He so. does. That's a very good point. That's right. He did. He, he, he Absolutely. If the worst case scenario is true for the center backs, but you have Jao Paulo healthy, you basically have to move Atencia back. And, and frankly, if Sissoko is available, but you don't have new who or Javier, I would probably still go with Atencia at center back with the Jao Paulo, Kellen Rowe. Uh, yeah keeping Sissoko as a uh, as a bench player and then um, knowing that you can put keep Christian Roldan in the attacking spot next to uh, Montero, Benize or Morris whichever one of those earns to start with Raul up top yeah it was so at the at the scrimmage like I said Shane O'Neill was the only healthy center or the only first team center back that played in the game at all and then they had uh, Ethan Dobler played on both teams uh at the same time well he switched oh, it ha- half he switched by it. half uh, yeah. yeah uh who else did they have that sw- they had someone else that switched teams eric kinsner i think switched it at- eric kinsner uh played for both defiance and sounders as the left center back as did jackson reagan um, that's right jackson reagan switched who in the second half and then there, there was a uh, an academy pro- prospect angel montinez the third um was the right center back for the Sounders through the entire uh, 80-ish minute scrimmage. We have to uh, sign him. His name is cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is a up-and-coming uh, U-17 player. Um, probably will see a lot, whatever the maximum number of time is for an academy kid with uh, Defiance and however that system works next year. Um, I would expect to see on Hill Martinez. Do going to be in next year? Well... we we say that every time i'm on the air uh no there's still no confirmation about that but as mickey likes to say don't just assume that whatever the mls third division league's uh name is assume that tacoma's in it right even if it's not official so to do a quick rundown in case you are uh just kind of picking this up and you're wondering what are all these injuries we're talking about uh Mm -hmm. we'll we'll start with Jao Paulo and Raul Rui Diaz, we were told, and Jimmy Madranda, we were told we're supposed to resume full training on Friday. So as of today, which is Thursday, we're assuming all three of those players are going to be fully fit and available. Unconfirmed at this point, but that's that's the assumption, I think. Would you agree with that, Mickey? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're just kind of we're guessing, we're guessing at this point. Right. Uh, Nico Ladero sounds very unlikely, I would say, to play in this game. Yeah. I, I think the best case scenario is probably him coming off the bench if they advance to the conference semifinals. And then Javier Arriaga, there was a report out of Ecuador that he left camp because of an injury. Brian Schmetzer confirmed that, but he also implied that he might be fit for the game, but we'll probably know more on Friday and they'll, they'll kind of assess him over the next few days. Knew uh, who came out of the game against Cameroon in the third minute uh, on a, after Getting into it, he basically jumped over a tackle in the first minute, landed on his shoulder, and had to come out of the game. It's unclear how serious that is. It's it would not be the most unbelievable thing for him if it was just a dislocated shoulder. It's it's at least just theoretically a, right, just, just a dislocated shoulder. It's at least theoretically possible that he could be that he could like because it's just a matter of like pain tolerance is my understanding. Uh, and he he could theoretically play. I, I suspect he won't play though on on Tuesday. And then uh, Jamar 
Gomez Andrade, I don't think he played at all when he was with Columbia. So there's no reason to think that he won't be available. But uh, that's kind uh, of the... Yeah. You skipped last year's number three in the MVP race. Jordan Morris. Yes. Yes, Jordan Morris. Yeah, it sounds like Jordan, Mor- Jordan Morris played all 80 minutes. Actually, he was probably the biggest beneficiary from this scrimmage. And Brian Spencer sort of made a note of that, saying that he we pushed him out to 80 minutes, and that's the most he's played. You know, and uh, and so he actually seemed to be implying that if they needed Jordan to start, he could start. And whether that is as a number nine in place of Raul Ruiz Diaz or in one of those uh, advanced midfielder roles, uh, he didn't say, but he he spent a half at each position. So it looks like the Sounders are sort of like prepping for that possibility either way. Uh, you know, which I guess maybe is, a, is an interesting transition into who, like, let's assume the best case scenario for most of these players, who do we think is going to be starting? I mean, it would like, and I guess the real question is, do we think Jordan Morris starts if, uh, you know, assuming Jao Paolo and Raul Ruiz Diaz are available, do we think he, he and Christian Roldan are the starting, you know, attacking midfielders essentially? Um, I think that's more, if it's not a best case health scenario, but Jordan is, is healthy enough to start. Um, I think, you know, as a, based on need and, you know, lack of available bodies, I would think that he's more likely to start, but if he, you know, they pushed him out to 80 minutes in this last one, as you said, and he played a lot in the previous scrimmage uh, as well. So I, I think from a fitness standpoint, it's not really an issue. I think this is more about uh, how he fits into their lineup. And if he is sharp enough that they think they, he can give them 60 to 75 quality minutes. Um, if those things are in place, then I don't think Schmetzer uh, and and they're missing a couple of bodies. Then I think Schmetzer would be more inclined to give him the start. If they are at what we think is basically full health, uh, then I think they probably would lean towards starting him on the bench uh, again, but giving him another you know half to forty five minutes um, with an eye if they win the game to have him finally start uh, his first match um, on the weekend in the, uh, in the conference semifinals. So Mickey, you're kind of saying if the, if the back line is more injured, you would start Jordan, but if they're more healthy, you'd start Nico or Freddie. Yeah. Kinda. That's kind of uh, my thought okay. process. Yeah, I, I'm in the, I, I'm, I'm actually with Mickey and kind of in, in, in a slightly different for slightly different reasons. One, I think Jordan's a better defender than uh, Benazé and Freddie Montero. And two, I think he is more likely to score. And if you don't have, um, if you don't have Nuhu, uh, I think that you need to find a way to think about this being a three-plus goal game between the two sides. And if it's going to be that kind of game, um, I want 60 minutes of Jordan, not 30. Um, because I just think they're better to me, the debate, and it's been um, the debate that sounder or uh, staff and readers have all agreed on, but Brian Schmetzer hasn't is that that left wing back. Um, I think everybody um, here, everybody who writes for the site, most people who read for the site would prefer Jimmy Madronda for uh, 60 to 75 minutes. Um, but I expect they'll see Brad Smith. Yeah, Brad Smith did play. He also played all 80 minutes in that game. He had, he had one, you know, he, yeah, it should be said he had a great move uh, to set up the Nico, Nico Benazay's goal in that game. Uh, Morris and Benazay both scored in that game. Uh, but Brad Smith did make a really nice move 
uh, to get past, uh, to run past Ray Serrano, who was a pretty fast player on his own. And he put in a great cross. Now, I think that was sort of like, this is the, you see those moments from Brad Smith and you start to convince yourself, like, this is what he's capable of doing and he's going to do it all the time. And uh, we know he doesn't do it all the time. And that's sort of his, his trick. Like his one trick is that he. Yeah. <laughs> that last regular season game, we saw it in like minute 10 and we're like, oh, we're going to see, uh, we're going to see Brad Smith that we know and love. Right. But then we didn't see that move again. Yeah, so I, I, I'm with you. I would I would be inclined to start Jimmy Madranda, but it's it's a little hard to see Brian Smetzer doing that, especially given that Madranda hasn't played in a month. Yeah, a, a, for a long, maybe a longer than a month because it's he missed what the last two or three games, right? I feel like adding a player coming back from injury to a back line that is made completely of people with injuries seems like a bad idea. And maybe (laughs) having at least one player that seems to be able to stay on his feet and be able to use them uh, might not be a bad idea. I'm inclined to agree with that. I also will say that Nuhu had a lot of shoulder issues with S2. um, And so he played a lot in like one of those giant shoulder brace things. So if he did... If he was like okay to play and it was just like pain management plus the brace, he does have a lot of experience doing that. That's that's a fair point. Like joking aside, he 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 he. I want to say he played like his first three years years? with that brace. Yeah, Yeah. he he played. You know, from new, you know, I think they've been a little frustrated with his return from the previous injury, and I think one of the things was pain tolerance and playing through it and kind of getting over the mental hurdle. So that's. I think something to be concerned about is if he gets out there and 15 minutes in lands on his shoulder and you're having to sub him out, is that something you want to even deal with? That's um, a fair point. That's, you know, I think that's something to, to be considered about where, where they're at. And, you know, as, as best said, I, I don't really see how you can start Madrena in that game. Um, just given what the situation is and the health of, uh, of the back line. Otherwise, I mean, you, again, you don't want to be subbing out, two or three players at the, you know, at the 10 and then the 30 minute mark because right. they re-aggravate injuries. I mean, obviously the injuries are a risk in any situation, but that just seems to be playing with a little bit of fire. If you're, if you're starting a bunch of guys who uh, are really just not, you know, a hundred percent again, not no one's hundred percent this time of year, but you're, you're, you're risking a lot. All, all fair all right, points. You convince me. Brad Smith starts. Yeah, I think maybe we've we've kind of come to a consensus on that one. I uh, you know, and I would say a point in Jordan Morris's favor potentially starting is that the maybe the area that RSL has struggled the most under Pablo Mastroeni is defending the counter. Uh, we saw them get absolutely <laughs> slammed by the Timbers six one, where uh, and then we we also saw them get uh, beat pretty badly by the Earthquakes. I think it was and the game ended up four three, but you know it was At a home, game. Though. At, right at home and this was a game that rsl was actually like playing that was the better team and yet they were down 4-1 at one point in that game uh but they are very much exposed on this on the counter and i suppose jordan morris is maybe the ideal type of player now he clearly lacks some sharpness and he's you know he's only been back for uh you know about a month now uh but this might not be a bad time to to give him a start just to see what he can do I'd also be excited to, be- to see Jordan and Raul back together. Yeah. Yeah, they made a fine, like- nice partnership last year. Go ahead, I like Dave. it too because uh, having uh, having Jordan there, uh, one of RSL's best players is their right center back in their three-man back line, who they, uh, Herrera, who they basically use as an up back, getting into the attack frequently 
essentially having two attacking wingbacks. Um, and uh, they wouldn't be allowed, like they couldn't advance Herrera if you have Jordan Morris ready to counter and Raul ready to poach. Um, if, uh, if the Sounders basically um, force uh, Pablo Mastroianni to play an honest three-man back line, um, that is a huge benefit. And it's not something that they've had to do. Part of that is, I mean, that's part of why Portland and San Jose were able to torch them is because their three-man back line converts to a two-man back line uh, and a lopsided one at that. Uh, so that's definitely, a, for a tactical reason, why you'll probably want in order Jordan, Benazé, Montero, because uh, Montero's propensity to drop deep would allow Herrera to abuse him, um, whereas Nico uh, Benazé has a little bit of that counterattacking nature. Yeah, and Herrera was definitely one who gave the Sounders all sorts of trouble uh, in their in their loss. So it's it's a good point. Yeah, it's been it, – it'll be an interesting one. And, and you know, Brian Schmetzer was asked, like, what sort of advantage, I guess, I think was the way that the question was was phrased, that they might have over RSL because they have their former head coach, who was coaching them just a few months ago, Freddy Juarez, uh, is now kind of the, one of the top assistants for the Sounders. And, and Brian basically said, like, no, I don't think it's an advantage at all. And, like, yeah, sure, we know their personnel between – uh, Craig Weibel and, and Freddy Juarez, but they've completely changed their, their style of play to the degree that it's, it's almost two separate teams uh, that, you know, the team that Mastroeni is putting out there and the team that Juarez was, was setting up with. Yeah. It would have been naive of them to really expect uh, much in this game from, you know, any intelligence that they may have garnered that you don't get from just general film study uh, and, you know, just discussion of, of tactics. And as you, as Smetzer said, they, they don't expect to get much uh, from, from Freddie at this point. Uh, they've played RSL, uh, you know, since they had him. Um, that game wasn't particularly uh, good for the Sounders. And so at this point, I think you just got to go with, you know, you, you know, your, whatever you use as your kind of tried and true scouting and, and uh, you know, observational techniques uh, to kind of, you know, try to match, match up with uh, what uh, Pablo is likely to do. And I think Dave raises a good point about using Morris to neutralize Herrera. Um, you know, you've got the obviously added benefit of having someone who can stretch the back line and school dangerous uh, as well as, uh, potentially neutralizing his ability to get forward. So I think that's where you, you, you got to focus your, your energy and not so much on what you can glean from having their former manager uh, as one of your assistants now. Oh, Schmetzer maybe... definitely also, Oh, go ahead, Beth. Uh, this is not important. It's actually kind of fun. Um, maybe we don't have enough Intel to like make uh, sweeping judgments about how they're going to play, but I feel like we might have enough Intel to play some fun mind games. And like, I'd be down with that if they want to just like sprinkle in a little bit of chaos. Like, I think I'd be good with that. Also, I'm mad at Pablo. He shaved off his fun little mustache. And so now he's just a guy. He's been inserted into the just a guy rankings because he got rid of his one defining feature. <laughs> Why did he do that? Blows my mind. It, it is fun. We need it more is mustache respect in the world. Yeah, you know, it's, it is funny. Uh, he put seemingly a lot of effort into cultivating that whole look, and then he just threw it away. Like, uh, like 
having that mustache it wasn't like he just had that like, was a, like his entire personal brand was that yeah. mustache yeah i didn't understand that at all like how do you do that to yourself i assume this was some sort of like george steinbrenner type rule where you're not allowed to have facial hair uh if you're uh part of the managers or, or something along those lines. Uh, that's that's the only thing I can uh, figure that RSL, uh, even though they don't have an owner right now, uh, is some for some reason very strict with uh, with their dress code. Yeah. Maybe yeah. one of their potential owners was like, yeah, we'll buy the team as long as the coach goes for that <laughs> ridiculous stash off. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, probably a good place to transition uh, into <laughs> – uh, the, the the small bit of news that we had uh, this week, which was the CONCACAF Champions League said that they're going to have their draw on December 15th, which is uh, shortly after MLS Cup. And maybe more importantly, they also revealed their schedule for, for games. Uh, the, the games are going to start the third week of February, which I guess is is ends up putting the, the first round of the first game in the first round somewhere around february 14th uh which if you're doing your math at home that's uh, valentine's <laughs> day yeah that's that's valentine's day that's the also, math i did right exactly uh that's about a month after mls cup which you know who knows if the sounders are playing in mls cup but presumably the two teams in mls cup will likely or at least one of them will be uh in playing in champions league so that's a probably a month-long offseason that they're going to get uh, because they're probably going to go back to uh, training camp right around mid-January. Uh, and, and that is <laughs> that is a short offseason. Yeah, they might uh, even get the exception in the past. I know M- MLS clubs and Champions League have been allowed to start uh, preseason three to seven days earlier just so that they wouldn't have only three to four weeks of uh, training before Champions League. So there's a possibility that the MLS Cup participants – only get basically the Christmas break off and come back on like the 10th. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The CBA uh, obviously mandates typically six weeks of a break. And that is about what they, uh, the MLS cup champs will get. Cause you know, the game's on the, the 11th. Uh, and then, yeah, if they're back on the like 15th or something of this of January. Yeah. That is, that is not a long break, which is, you know, kind of how it was in the past. Uh, so I guess we're getting right. back to some semblance of normalcy. Right. I feel like we should stop calling it the off season. Season implies that it's like a longer length of time where like a change occurs. This right. is more like small break, happy the, holiday, a like pause. postseason break. Yeah, this is this isn't a season. Well, it, it's, uh, in in some ways, it's the Kobe Bryant curse. Uh, he, LeBron James, basically has also gone through this, where because they make the playoffs so often they essentially have played extra seasons worth of their sport. And there's several Sounders players like Christian Roldan at this point, Stephen Fry, uh, Stephen Fry, you know, uh, the ones that have been healthy for all of these deep playoff runs over the past five years uh, have essentially added an entire season to their career just in postseason play. And um, they don't get to rest, you know, <laughs> in some cases, you know, the extra long break next year because of the world cup 22, um, some of these guys have to be looking forward to that. Uh, just, you know, sit, watch soccer for in the very, very, very early morning and uh, do some stretching exercises and keep fitness up, but actually having an extra month and a half off um, at the end of 2022 has got to be uh, a positive for some players in the league. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting about this draw is that 
and I don't know that this is a surprise, but it's a reminder that the gap, like there, this draw is actually pretty important. Like the, the, the quality of a first round opponent that you might face is vast. Uh, I don't know a lot about the teams that are coming out of Haiti, but I assume they are probably not as good as Liga Amekis teams. And Santos Laguna is uh, in pot two, which means that someone's going to draw Santos Laguna in the first round and someone else is going to draw Haiti. And the, there's a pretty big, or the, the Haitian team, uh, there's a pretty big gap in quality there. Uh, but Dave had an interesting observation in our pre-show meeting uh, that the the Hamilton Forge, is that right, are going to be the first uh, Canadian Premier League representative in Champions League and also the first uh, non-MLS team from Canada or the United States since the Montreal Impact. And what year was that, Dave? I want to say 2011. Okay. Um, may, no, 2010. 2011, weren't they an expansion team? Yeah, yeah I think so they were expansion in 2011. Yeah, so it would have been 2010 when they made a uh, – deep deep run as a usl team um maybe nasl one of those two the, the leagues change names so often um but that they may have been the run. year of the ussf division two yeah um they made a run to the semifinals i want to say and got like fifty five thousand into uh olympic stadium which probably hasn't been used in the decades since um but it'll be interesting for hamilton forge because uh, as jeremiah said in the pro pre-show meeting i like this where we're yes we're recapping each other's other's content yeah um jeremiah mentioned hamilton doesn't have access to a dome and so you know february 14th hamilton is a suburb of toronto um (laughs) has an outdoor stadium around the 10k mark um february 14th there should be uh very similar to mls cup 2016 uh, um in an out outdoor stadium um for a Champions League game, and as we know, Champions League never draws as much as anything else. So there might be about two thousand fans. Oh, on I gotta imagine Hamilton field. for they'll come out in Hamilton for Champions League. Well, damn, this is like the biggest game in the well, in their I mean, franchise's history. Be, if they're matched up with, uh, I mean, they're in Group B, so they'll either be matched up with a Liga MX or an MLS team. MLS team. There's just the a, other. No, it's all the teams. Oh. All, all the teams in pot one are, are MLS or, or League MX. Right, because Toronto or Montreal is going to be the Canadian. The, uh, the eighth. Okay. Yeah. 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 That should do it. I mean, heck, if they get Toronto or Montreal, like if it's Toronto, no, that'll be standing room only. Yeah, that would but be that, that would be perfect, wouldn't it? If it's Sporting Kansas City, there'll be 12 people. Yeah. Uh, somehow I'm, I can't, I, I imagine this magically working out where there is an all. Uh, Toronto, like a, a Toronto Derby, uh, in this first round, like magically, like oh, against all against all odds, they draw each other. It's almost uh, like it's almost like us drawing Portland in the Open Cup. Right, yeah. it's, it's amazing. amazing. How it's gonna happen. Year. I don't know. I don't know how they do yeah. it. But if they get like, if it's the Colorado Rapids or Sporting Kansas City who would qualify if any of the top three MLS teams win MLS Cup, like Colorado or Kansas City is gonna have like. I don't see Hamilton Ford's fans being like, oh, I have to see those guys. No, maybe, maybe. But uh, I just like the idea of, of, of outdoor soccer in February in Toronto. I think that sounds like a great idea. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
since we're since apparently which we might be getting in 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 the World Cup qualifier too, uh, because all the rumors now are that Canada is going to play the U.S. in in Toronto and rob us of of getting to see them play in Vancouver, which I had been rooting for for I sure. I was really excited to watch Christian Roldan sit on the bench in Vancouver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'd be a lot warmer. Um, or Christian. Yeah, they love they love that Edmonton uh, situation so much that I have a feeling all of their fall and winter qualifiers now will be like Calgary, Edmonton. There we go. Um, maybe maybe they'll put in a 5,000-seat stadium in Banff or something. Um, <laughs> but they love the crap out of how that worked out for them to take over first place in, in the group. So They'll be super excited play. about the concept of playing games in the middle of winter until something goes wrong and one of their players like breaks their ass right. on some ice, and then they'll be right. like, oh, maybe that was a bad idea. Right. Like it's all fun. Until it, someone gets dove into the snowbank that, that could have been so rock powdered ice cubes. Um, yeah, because we've all made that mistake where you jump into what you think is a bank of snow and it's really just a wall of ice. Or maybe I'm the only one here that's made that mistake, but it hurts. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think I mean, I think I've probably done something not so dissimilar from that. We were but, just talking about Toronto, um, and it seems that Bob Bradley is on his way there because he officially got fired by LAFC. Oh, so, they mutually no. agreed to part ways per the release. Was that um, that was breaking news on the Sounder at Heart podcast? So if we so get, if we get Toronto and Hamilton, it's going to be Bob Bradley, he's right? I thought he was hat. on a contract, but you know who knows what. Uh, he's going to have to wear a hat, or his head will freeze. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be uh, the the off season is is getting interesting in in MLS, uh, but the the. Not to get, not to weigh ourselves too much in other people's business, but oh, I love being in other people's business. Yeah, so we're now. This is fun. Bob Bradley got. Can we get what, into LAFC's business? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what I'm saying. So Bob Bradley got four seasons at LAFC. He made the playoffs three times. They, you know, set the world aflame in in 2019, uh, only to lose to. I think it was the Sounders in the in the playoffs. Yes, my memory is a little uh, fuzzy, but I believe that is correct. Yeah, th- that sounds that right. was the time that Javi miniaturized Carlos Vela. That's and right. put him in his tucked in jersey. I'm now remembering all these things. Uh, really fun, but yeah, does it, how does it? What do you think? What do people Crazy. remember the LAFC Bob Bradley era? Was it a success or was it just a lot of? Uh, you know, a lot uh, of think, excitement without much payoff. Uh, I think it's like a shooting star uh, to to go from a meme from the, the other LA uh, team uh, uh, yes. from way back when. It was, you know, it shined bright at the at the start. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but it, it it certainly fizzled out uh, in these last two years. Uh, they got bounced from the Sounders in consecutive years in the playoffs. Uh, obviously the 2019 one was the more famous of the two, but, you know, 2020, they uh, came up to Seattle and, you know, Sounders, you know, sent them, sent them packing pretty handily. Um, and then, you know, from there it was, you know, it was kind of downhill. I think it was partially due to uh, them trading away some of their, uh, their assets. Uh, Walker Zimmerman, that was a, you know, that was a tough trade to, uh, you know, they got a lot of allocation money, but that was also because of the fact that, you know, they ran through all their allocation money. Um, and then you have to make those tough decisions 
uh, you know, Atlanta had to deal with that too. Um, you know, when you, when you spend a lot up front, uh, there is a reckoning in MLS typically. Um, and, you know, they had to get rid of a lot of talent. Um, injuries obviously didn't help them either with Bella being out for most of the season, essentially. Um, and they were playing a bunch of guys who just, you know, at that point weren't, weren't at the level of the team that they started with. And, you know, you saw kind of what happened and, you know, you, you missed the playoffs. Um, you're, you know, potentially at risk of, of losing your job. Now, I think he was out of contract and they just essentially decided to, to see other people, but still it was, it's, it's been, it's pretty remarkable from my point of view that they have, you know, fallen off as much as they have. And we'll see what, you know, they've got the resources to obviously come back strong, but you know, it's going to take some, uh, it's going to take some work now. This may be a stupid question, but did earlier expansion teams like the Sounders have as much money of any kind? Mm. Was that like a bonus, but it wasn't millions and millions like it is now. Um, Yeah. It was like 250,000. But again, back then, um, you had Ozzy Alonso making like 13,000. So uh, those were some of the other things that the Sounders had in the benefit. They had a bunch of talented players on very minuscule contracts. And so they didn't have that kind of huge uptick. And by the time they did, Tam was a thing. So, yeah, I think, and I think one of the big changes that happened, maybe it was Atlanta or Atlanta's first year may have been the first time they did this. I think they were only allowed to select five players instead of 10 players Mm -hmm. uh, in the expansion draft. And then sort of the trade-off for that was they gave them a bunch more allocation money. Yeah. And so they had some, they kind of changed the way that they, they sort of gave expansion teams a leg up early on instead of like getting a bunch of players, which had become sort of more tradable assets than they were, uh, than they were like players that would play for the team. I, I think, I think the LFC um, fall from grace is a good reminder as to how fortunate the Sounders have been. They have a yeah. good coach. Like they have one of the three best coaches in the history of the league. Um, they have MVP caliber players uh, got injured. Sure. They had one of the best defenders to play in the history of the league and they traded him away, you know, similar to how we lost Chad Marshall. We went through all the same problems that they had with the, the missing best 11 players and MVP candidates and golden boot guys went through all of that and won 60 points second in the West LAFC deals with losing Diego Rossi, Carlos Vela, Walker Zimmerman still has a good coach and they don't make the playoffs and MLS is designed to not have lose multiple MVP candidates in one year. You're not going to make the playoffs. Like what Seattle did this year isn't supposed to happen in a league like this. You're not supposed to lose Nico Ladero and Jordan Morris for an entire year. um, And go on the run that they did. It's just another symbol of uh, what the Lagerwey Schmetzer dynasty has managed to accomplish over their period of time that teams like Toronto fell apart dramatically. LA galaxy um, haven't recovered Um, LAFC basically are giving up and starting over Atlanta United is on their like fifth coach in four years. Um, You know, the giants of this league have all failed. Uh, Red Bulls. And, you know, was a Red Bulls mentioned in my marketing textbook. I was studying for my exam and I was like, (laughs) Oh my gosh, I know them. 
<laughs> was it a sign? Of, was it a, a, a don't do this? More, I think it they, was they, um, co-branding between the uh, Red Bulls and MLS. They mentioned the Metro Stars. It was interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, they yeah, also they, called them the New York Red Bulls, which I feel like will offend some people. And that's probably a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. You got to go for more offense. Uh, yeah, Can I give the hottest of takes uh, sure. at, before we fade, fade away from LAFC finally? I, my expectation having a great that, time decimating LAFC. Keep it, keep it up. Um, You're doing great. My expectation is that LAFC's next coach is Tata Martino. That, yeah. I like that take. That, that would be, uh, I'm, I'm here for the, for the drama. Like I seeing him fired by, by the uh, Mexican Federation would not surprise anybody. And seeing a team that wants reach out to Hispanic fans, play that huge attacking style, recapture greatness. Um, I could totally see them offering him 100% control. Um, and that's what it would take. Like, so that's my, uh, that's my, uh, you know, I guess hot take, but I, I don't know that it's so hot because it, Maybe it's just really a, seems a like warm prediction. Happen. Yeah. I think that's yeah. more of a warm prediction than a hot take. Uh, there we go. I think that's a that's a good call, Beth. And and you know, while we're talking head coaches, we may as well give a shout out to Ezra Hendrickson, who I don't know if it's been officially announced, but all signs point to him getting the head coaching gig at Chicago Fire. Uh, he of course spent from 2009 to 2017, I believe, in the Sounders organization. Uh, part the first part of that was as an assistant under Siggy Schmidt, and then he was the S2 head coach from 15 to 17. Right, Dave? Is that right? That was yeah. in Beth's heyday, waving flags right. in a starfire. That's right. That's Sounds right. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's the, the coaching carousel is starting to spin uh, in MLS. And once again, thankfully, the Sounders are not on it. Uh, pretty amazing. The Sounders have not made an off-season coaching hire uh, since 2000, what, 2008, I guess, was when si- technically Siggy Schmidt was hired. Yeah. Uh, pretty remarkable uh, era of success. And, and sort of uh, one of my favorite stats about the Sounders is that they've had two head coaches, two general managers, two general managers and two uh, majority owners since 2002. Uh, it's a pretty remarkable uh, run of stability that the Sounders have had. This whole LAFC thing is just another uh, reminder of how rare it is for the Sounders to ha- for a team to have this sort of sustained success. Uh, they've only missed the playoffs, I think, once during that entire time. Is that right, Dave? Yeah, it was just once. One time in the USL in the 2006, I, I think. Yeah, because after the 2005 team, a bunch of uh, the marginal MLS talent left the squad. Levesque, Taylor Graham both left after the 20, 2005. Um, and uh, they eventually came back during that year because they weren't MLS ready. Um, but yeah one down year and it was like one game out as well like it wasn't like right they oh as, God, as brian horrible brian spencer recalled this for us uh at a press conference where they basically missed out on the playoffs because they sort of fell asleep on a on a on a throw-in that the montreal impact had to uh i i think either grab a tie or, or grab a late win uh, in a game where the Sounders had outshot them like 15 to two or some crazy stat like that. And, uh, and if they had gotten whatever the, whatever extra points they needed in that game, they would have been into the playoffs. 
uh, and that's anyway, that's that's the only time they missed the playoffs since 2002. Kind of a, a wild statistic. Uh, but while we're on the topic of head coaches, I feel like we should acknowledge that Brian Schmetzer is one of the top three finalists for yes. the Siggy Schmidt Coach of the Year Award. First so time he's ever been a finalist. Him. Yes, absolutely. First time he's ever been a, a finalist for that award. Uh, hard as that is to believe. But uh, crazy. Yeah, he's never even been in the top five of the voting uh, in any of the years that they shared that. In 2016, they didn't share, they only shared the top three vote getters. But I don't imagine that he was in the top five that year either. Uh, he only was the coach for half the season. Uh, but yeah, it's been a remarkable, uh, a more remarkable run that Schmetzer has has overseen. And uh, it will be interesting to see how these playoffs go. But um, yeah. Brian Schmetzer is the Stephen Fry of the Nick Romandos. That's right. Basically, like, all right, that's uh, not a good joke. Okay, sorry, I didn't really work this. I didn't workshop that that one. All right, well, that's probably a good note to end on. On on that that bombing joke. More Alex Roldan erasure. He scored a goal. He did. That's right. Congrats to Alex Roldan. Scored a massive goal for El Salvador. Uh, Whatever hopes they have of making the World Cup. Uh, are very are alive only to the degree that Alex Roldan is allowing them to be because that was a massive equalizer that he scored for El Salvador against Jamaica and uh, 90th minute header uh, absolutely towering header too it wasn't like a, a cheapy he, he rose up and and uh, scored a big goal for El Salvador so uh, hopefully he can carry some of that form back to the Sounders but, Definitely. All right. Well, that's a that's that's maybe a better note to end on. Uh, I am Jeremiah Shan signing off on behalf of Dave Clark, Beth Mantle, and Mickey Turner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we will catch you next time.